All right, everybody. Well, welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, episode 165. And we are excited that Dara O'Kearney uh, has joined us. Uh, those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard that name a few times, uh, especially as we've talked about satellite things. But we're excited to actually speak with him uh, directly and ask him some questions. And I know some of you have submitted questions, so thanks for that. Uh, as always, we are sponsored sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino, and Hotel. Uh, we are also sponsored by Learn Pro Poker and most recently by Website Amp. And we'll chat a little bit about who they are later in the show. But uh, first, let's just welcome on uh, Daro Kearney, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. And you are actually calling in from where precisely? Dublin, Ireland, uh, where I live at home. Um, I... Yeah, this is where I live. Uh, obviously, I travel a bit for live poker, but I've, I've been at home for the last couple of weeks uh, since Nottingham, and I'm heading to Madrid in a few days. But uh, it's good to be home for a period. What's, what's happening in Madrid? Is that just personal, or do you got some poker tour? No, no, there's a poker tournament. Um, MPN Poker Tour are having their last ever stop there. Unfortunately, the site is closing. Um, it's been one of my favorite tours over the last uh, five years. Um, really good vibe on the tour. Um so I used to play a lot of those stops, um, just mostly for pleasure, I have to say, because the, the, the buy-in is a bit lower than I would normally play, but um, they were great fun, those stops. Well, it's nice that you're going there to kind of help them close out and kind of end with a bang. I'm sure that's a, a bittersweet uh, moment for all of those folks. Yeah, it is for sure. My friend Cloda has run that tour for the last few years, and she's done an amazing job. Uh, the The reason why they're closing has nothing to do with the tour. The tour itself is a huge success. It's just the way online poker has gone. It's got it's got more difficult for the smaller sites to survive. So, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, the parent is gone. Okay. Well, you know, we're trying to figure out like where we want to go with this interview. There's there's so many things. So to start, I just you know, we, there's a litany of things that you've been involved with. Uh, you know, you're an ambassador. You're a writer. You're a player. All of those things, uh, kind of before we get into the strategy segment, I just want to give you an opportunity to tell us what what should we know? What do you really want uh, the Rec Poker Nation to to know about who you are and what you're involved with? Because you know we have people, uh, as we've talked about, that are kind of across the spectrum. People that you know are are very uh, very regular players. They play a lot. They're plugged into the poker community, and then there's players that are just kind of hearing some of these names for the first time. And so, what should sure. what do you want people to know about who you are and what you're involved with? Sure. Well, I guess the first thing to say is I'm I'm fairly unusual in that I start I came to poker really late. I didn't learn the game until I was 42, um, which was 12 years ago. Uh, took to it very quickly. Um, my sort of plan taking it up was uh, try and get good at it over a few years and, and maybe get competitive. But actually, it happened very fast for me. Um, I did well online right from the start. I ran really well in my first year as well. So by the end of my first year of playing, I was. I'd moved to being a full-time professional um, and I've been a full-time professional player since. Um, mostly an online player, I have to say, even though I do play quite a bit live, but um, most of my volume has been put in online uh, over the last 12 years. Last few years, I've kind of moved into sort of content creation in different areas. Um, I'm involved in the Chip Race podcast which uh, with David Lappin, um, my wonderful co-host. He, he made me say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we have, we have a question about that later in the program, so we'll come back. <laughs> yeah. So we've been doing the podcast on and off uh, for the last, let me get this right, five years. Um, we had a kind of a two-year period in the middle of that where we, we weren't making it. But so it's basically we made it for a year, two years off, three years back. Um, I also write a blog, um, 
And I uh, last year I published my first book with Barry Carter. Uh, Barry's the guy who wrote a mental game of poker with Jared Tendler. Um, so we wrote the um, book on poker satellite strategy. Um, and yeah, I just I've, I've been an ambassador for Unibet for three years now. Um, also an ambassador for Share My Pair. Um, and yeah, I just like to have as much diversity as possible. Even though I still love playing, and playing is still my main thing on I'm playing online in particular. I do love live poker. I love traveling to meet players. I love traveling uh, to play. And I also love all the, the content creation that I do. Um, it just um, makes for more diverse uh, life, let's say, than if I just sat and clicked buttons all day, every day. Yeah. And, you know, all of those things, every single one of those things that you mentioned, I would love to like dig into because I have a million questions on, on all of those things, you know, including like the, the poker satellite strategy. It's a great book. I think everybody in the panel has read it. We've recommended it many times on the show because... You know, I, I think personally that there's a lot of value in playing satellites for recreational players, those who 100%. who struggle to, you know, they can get to the top 20%, but they can't, you know, they, they don't have their quite mindset to, to win tournaments. So it's a good ROI, I think. And so we recommended uh, that book to a lot of folks. But but one thing you didn't mention is not poker related. And I, and I have to find out, is this a, is this just a Wikipedia thing or is this a legitimate thing? I mean, are you into like the, these ultra marathon things? Is that, is that you? Yeah. Yeah. This that was crazy, me for crazy. That was me for a while. Um, again, the running thing kind of happened by accident. I I took up running again quite late. Um, I think I was about thirty when I started, and uh, I was a marathon runner for most of my thirties. Um, you know, not exactly top class. Uh, I guess I was somewhere around the top five percent, maybe, but no higher than that. Um, and just did it for fun, really, and, and to stay fit. And then at the uh, at the end of my thirties, I kind of realized that um, I was declining as a marathon runner. Um, and I, I I had always wanted to run an ultra marathon just to see what it felt like um, and see how it was. It turned out I was a lot better as an ultra runner than a, a marathon runner. It's kind of a regret that I didn't discover it earlier. But um, my first ultra marathon was in New York. Um, nine laps of Central Park, and I actually ended up winning that race. And I had a very good, let's say, two years as an ultra runner where I won a few races. Um, I ran in the World Championships for Ireland. I set a few national records. Um, and I basically went from being a normal marathon runner to running like 24-hour races in a very quick period. And uh, <laughs> did- Well, of course, why wouldn't you? I mean, why would you not run for 24 straight hours? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a thread of my personality i guess when i get into something i really get into it like to a ridiculous extreme uh you could even say the same for poker like the the whole impetus for poker actually came um i was 42 years old and i was thinking well uh you know there aren't any top class ultra runners in their late 40s or or at least 50 so i need to find something else that i enjoy and can be competitive at and i saw poker on tv and you know like most live poker dreams, see people of all ages and people seem to be competing. So I thought, okay, well, that, that actually looks like something that older people can do at a pretty higher level. So my original thing was, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just pick up poker and I'll do it on the side. Um, but of course, as soon as I learned it, I just got completely obsessed with the game. And uh, before I knew it, like I was playing, um, playing online 10, 12 hours a day and consuming all the books that I could find. Um, and just got completely obsessed with poker and as a result poker 
um, happened much quicker than I thought and probably shortened my running career because I couldn't really balance the two. Um, but the running was, yeah, the running was interesting because as you say, it's the kind of stuff that most people think is just crazy, uh, running for 24 hours and often not in very good conditions. Like my first 24 hour race was running in, um, Quebec in Canada at the height of their summer. So, you know, very warm, um, difficult enough conditions, but I found that I found that was such a challenge mentally. Uh, that's really what appealed to me, um, and I think that's something which probably stood me good stead when I moved across to poker. Well, it's it's super interesting. Yet another thing we could talk hours about. Maybe next time I get a chance to go to Dublin, we can go have a Guinness at the bar and then absolutely hear about yeah, your or at the pub. Here. I'm sorry, not at the bar, at the pub. <laughs> we could talk more about this, but uh, just fascinating stuff. I mean, that's one thing I've never done is I've never declined as a marathon runner. I've never once declined as a, where I, where I was as a marathon runner. I still am as a marathon runner. I've never declined, even despite my age. But wow, but, that's. Yeah, what that's that means, Dar, what that means, Dar, is I, I've never run one. So, okay. <laughs> what okay. I'm saying is I've never run a day in my life, so I've never declined. Okay. But I've, I've not I missed had that. Yeah, age has never caught up with me in, in terms of marathoning. But it's, uh, a, it, <laughs> it's a very funny thing to feel that it, to actually physically feel age. Yeah, uh, like that's the. I think I think that's something that sports people feel before everybody else because. Yeah, like like I said, the last marathon I ever ran, I everything went perfect. I, I thought I was in the shape of my life. Um, I had no illness, no injury. Conditions on the day were perfect. There was nothing I could put my finger on that I did wrong. Or um, So all I could conclude at the end of it was, this is age catching up with me. And that's a very strange feeling. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. That's why I don't do it because I don't want to feel age catching up. With me. <laughs> yeah. See, it's next level thinking and thinking it's chess, yeah. not checkers. Uh, well, we'll um, move forward to kind of the next, next thing we want to do is I'm going to turn it over to, you mentioned Canada. We'll turn it over to, to, to Canadian Jim Reed. And he has a, a few questions that our listeners uh, submitted for you. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Team Canada over here representing. <laughs> uh, thanks, Dara. We did get some uh, feedback from some of our listeners who are big fans of yours as well. Uh, Bill Larson down in Florida, you already answered sort of uh, how you got into poker, but what were some of the primary poker influencers in your life? And are there people or resources that really made a big difference for you when you were making the transition from uh, ultra marathon runner to uh, poker player? Yeah, yeah, there absolutely were. Um, when I decided to take up poker, um, it turned out that my brother, who was living w- with us at the time, was already playing um, at a pretty high level. He was essentially semi playing semi-professionally. Um, so when I found that out, that was obviously ideal because he could teach me. Um, we always had this bizarre sibling rivalry where we would both take up the same games and then we'd play it until it became clear one of us was better than the other and that would never change and then the other person would give that up so i think that's maybe why he held back that he was playing poker for for me for years um but he was a very good teacher and he taught me the the fundamentals um very very quickly and i think that's why i started so well in addition to running well i mean i obviously ran well for the first year um but i think he taught me the fundamentals really well um which stood me in good stead at the time, my first friend in poker, um, who was a professional, full-time professional poker player, was um, an Irish player called Rob Taylor. Um, we actually started on quite a rocky foot because I put a horrendous bad beat on him in the first big tournament I ever played, which I ended up winning, uh, which he didn't take too well. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> testament to Rob, he didn't hold a grudge. We got we got friendly, and he he taught me an immense amount in the first two years, particularly how to play online tournaments. Um, he was 
Ireland's top sit and goal player at the time. And he basically taught me everything he knew. Um, so I would say Rob was probably the single biggest influence. Obviously, it was great to, get to learn the fundamentals from my brother, but um, Rob taught me an absolute uh, no, a lot about poker. That's great. And we really emphasize here at Rec Poker sharing knowledge. And uh, I think we also, the people that really know their stuff here, um, they learn more just by teaching it as well and by having the discussions with people that know, know a little less about it. So it's a, that's great. Um, one of our listeners, David L., has a question. David Lappin, great co-host or greatest co-host of all time? Uh, Dara, to you. Well, if, they, if, they, if they're my only options. <laughs> he was pretty clear to, that those were the only options. I'm going to have to go with great co-host. <laughs> <laughs> The lesser of two years. <laughs> no, shout out to David. He is a, he 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 is an incredible co-host. He does ninety percent of the work on our show. Um, oh, sweet. Me. Yeah, we've got one of those too. That's Steve. Yeah, <laughs> you need the workhorse basically. Um, and, <laughs> and David, David does all the stuff that I don't want to do. Um, uh, yeah, he's great on that stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, one more uh, from our Canadian contingent here, Chad McVean, one of my favorite people in the world, even though Chad we've never well, met yeah. face to face. He's fantastic. Uh, wants to thank you personally for the great satellite book. I guess he's had some success with that recently. Um, we're curious what kind of podcasts you actually listen to now over the course of your uh, day or week in your quote unquote leisure time. And uh, what do you try and get from them? What do they, what do you get from them that you can't sort of bring to your own life as it were? Yeah, there's, there's probably two types of content. I like, I like um, interviews with elite players um, and I also like uh, high level strategy content. Um, so I would say most of my podcast listening is uh, directed in, in, in those areas. The first podcast I really listened to in a big way was Thinking Poker. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I still listen to that all the time. Um, and I've actually become friends with Andrew since. So he's a great guy. Actually, I think I met uh, Steve briefly in Vegas outside the Rio when I was with Andrew. Um, I have also... Uh, Recently, I've gotten into um, listening to the Solve for Why um, podcast because those guys talk at a very high level. Um, really interesting guys, really smart guys. Um, also enjoy Brad Wilson's podcast, which is very recent. I can't believe how much he's put out in such a short time. Um, but he gets he, he gets great guests as well. My podcast listening in general tends to be... Uh, <laughs> tends to be done when I'm running um, because I'm not the type of person who could sit still and listen to something. So when I'm running, it's a good chance to sort of multitask. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, and those are, those are probably the ones I listen to the most at the moment, but I do actually dip in and out of all the podcasts just to see what, what's out there. Um, and a lot of it is based around guests as well. A, a lot of the ideas for who to get on our own podcast has come from listening to people on other podcasts and you get a sense of who, who would make a good guest and uh um yeah so it's multifaceted i would say i'm, I'm genuinely interested in, in the content but i also want to see you know what's out there and anything we could possibly incorporate to improve our podcast sure i think a lot of our listeners also listen in a multitasking way whether they're on a commute or doing chores around the house um 
I also listen to a lot of podcasts. I know John Somsky and Rob and Chris here on the panel do as well. And it's a great way to get some learning time in when you have a busy life. And, you know, you're, we're all recreational players, so we can't just sit down and, and grind out a bunch of study time every day. But uh, what studying, this is the last question from Chad here, uh, what studying do you do to maintain your game in a more active capacity than uh, listening to podcasts? Um, I, I, I work quite a bit with the solvers. Um, so I, w- I, w- I was an early adopter for the solvers. I was certainly the first player in my social group to, to sort of start working with the solvers. Um, for me, they were sort of game changing because up to that point in my career, let's say, if there was a spot or a hand that I was unclear on, my, my process was sort of to go around and ask my uh, my friends who were pros, uh, their opinions. And often you would get like five different opinions and then you had to sift and decide who you believed. And, you know, it, it might come down to personal bias or it might come down to who made the most convincing argument, but not mess that that person might not necessarily be correct. When the solvers came along and I quickly realized, you know, if you, if you program in the variables correctly, you can get an exact answer, an answer which is absolutely 100% mathematically accurate. Um, for me, that seemed like a game changer. The way I've used the solvers over the years have cha- has changed. I mean, initially, I, I think maybe this was common for most people when they came on the scene. It was just like, oh, I'm not sure I played this hand right. Let's put it in and see what the solver would do. These days, it tends to be more um, situational where I just look at certain spots um, like button against blind, uh, 20 big blinds deep. Um, you know, if I'm the button... I know my opening range. How should I play against different big blinds who play differently? You know, some some guys will be tight. Some guys will be loose. Some guys will three bet their stronger hands. So when they flat, you can rule those out. Other guys will just flat super wide, and just see how you should play differently on uh, on different flops um, against the different player profiles. Um, again, my thinking on solvers has kind of moved forward as well since I started. When I when I started, I was sort of obsessed with game theory and. That came from a place of when I started traveling outside of Ireland and playing bigger tournaments, I felt a serious skill deficit when I played the very top guys. Um, and then when I found out about game theory and this idea that you can uh, you know, essentially play in a way which nobody can exploit you, even the better players, that was obviously very appealing. So for me, it was, it was more sort of a defensive mechanism against better players. If I learn a GTO strategy, then you know, they can't really um, get the better of me. Last few years, I've moved more towards um, using the solvers to work out how I should diverge when um, the population are playing differently or individual players are playing differently from the way that they're in inverted commas supposed to play. Um, so working out specific exploits, um, how much you can exploit in different spots um, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, m- most of my study is, is, is very solver-based. And we've just fin- we're just finishing a book study on Andrew Brokus's playing optimal poker and and the game theory applications there. And one thing that's jumped out to us, in particular, Rob and I were talking about this, is how much of it depends on your information about the opponent and the the villain models that you're running in there, the assumptions that you make, and it's almost like a logic machine at that point. Um, so, is there anything? That, Chris has some more specific strategy uh, questions we'll ask next, but just to take off from that point. Um, do you have any tips on uh, opponent models or like villain types or things that you might use to tighten up the assumptions that you make when you're using the solver? Um, yeah, like 
particularly with the post lap solvers, it's it's incredibly important that you that your ranges be accurate. So um, quite often I will run. Okay, let me just rewind for a minute. So, so, so when a when a post lap solver in, in inverted commas solves a hand, it's not really solving the hand; it's just solving a toy game um, based on the the ranges you put in, the sizing you're you're allowing it, and so on. So it's it's a kind of garbage in, garbage out model in that if, in that if the um, the ranges are wrong and the bet sizes are not um, sensible, uh, the solver I mean the solver will come up with the best solution for the limitations you put on it but that won't be anything useful in the real world so you i i i tend to rather than think okay well this is my range and this is what i think my opponent's range is um and that's set in stone and these are the these are the bet sizes i think are sensible i mean i will start that's but that's just the starting point for me and 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 then i'll think okay well i think these bet sizes are ter- are are sensible but let's let's assume i allow the solver to do different bet sizes from these let's see if there are certain bet sizes it prefers and that might actually open up a huge leak in my own thinking where i think you know on this flop we should be betting 33 percent and when you allow the solver to overbet, suddenly the solver is over betting a lot um, and then you can start investigating the reasons why that might be that's from the point of view of the bet sizes but then on the ranges um i mean you, you might know your own range but most of the time you you will be making assumptions about the opponent. So I will start with what I think is the range, but then I'll widen it out and say, okay, well, let's let's just, let's say he's a good bit wider than I actually think. What kind of hands would he would he play? And and, and not necessarily be um, binary about it. Like you might decide, for example, I think he might play six four suited, but I'm not sure about it. So I'll put six four suited into the range forty percent of the time, or whatever weighting you think is is sensible. Similarly, what if he's tighter than I think? Um, what if he's not actually playing uh, the, the bottom of the range that I've described him? Um, so tighten up the range and see how much the strategy changes as well. Uh, the other thing I would say is when you're looking at solver output, don't just focus on, it, uh, in inverted commas, what the right answer is. Um, because not n- not all mistakes are created equal. Um, like sometimes like the, cho- the, the difference between, let's say, C betting on a flop or checking behind, the, the the solver might see about 100% of the time, but actually when you look at the EV, and it's very important to look at the EV of every option, you might see there's only a, diff, a tiny difference of maybe one hundredth of a big blind between the two options. So, so if you do decide to check behind, you're not actually making a big error and you're wasting a lot of... Um, you're wasting a lot of time worrying about decisions that are really close. What you should really be looking for are spots that are very clear-cut. Um, and if you find a spot that's very clear-cut and is not what you currently think or what you currently do, um, that's basically uh, manna from heaven because that's a major leak you've discovered in your own game, which could make a, a, a huge difference going forward. You know, Finding out that you're supposed to check 40% and bet 60% when you weren't sure which to do, that, that makes no difference. Very good. Chris, did you want to go? Yeah, I'll jump in now. Uh, Hi, Dara. I'm Chris, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit. We we always have a strategy section on our uh, podcast, so I'm going to jump in with some some questions there. And I I wanted to start really, all of these questions are around satellites, but I wanted to start with sort of a more 
uh, theoretical question, which came through some conversations. Um, we uh, do you know who Jonathan Little is a poker player? Do, yeah. He does poker yep. coaching. Yeah, and yep. so he was a guest with us, and he was he was sort of having a conversation with us about how you know he doesn't actually recommend the rec- recreational players play satellites because it's sort of a a parlay in a sense. Like you've got to do mm. well in one tournament, and then you got to do well in another tournament to ever see some value come out of the the purchase that you made, right? And as players who might be recreational, maybe we're less skilled. And so the idea of sort of going through and doing well in two tournaments is much harder than doing well in one tournament. So his recommendation was build your bankroll up, play in smaller tournaments until you're ready to play in bigger tournaments. What, as a person who is a satellite expert and has recommended them to recreational players, mm-hmm. what, what would you say in response to sort of that idea? Why should recreational players play in, re- in satellites? Yeah, well, I wouldn't argue with uh, Jonathan's uh, logic on this. I mean, he's obviously correct that the, the, a satellite is essentially a parlay where the prize in one tournament just gets you into another tournament, and that obviously increases your variance. Um, I, I would suggest that probably it applies more to pro players than, than to recreationals because pro players have to worry about going broke and they have to worry about variance and, and, and all the rest of it. So certainly a pro player, if they're only bankrolled to play, let's say, Hundred dollar tournaments, and they uh, and they start playing hundred dollar satellites to one k tournaments. That's not a good idea because then they're essentially playing a one k tournament when they when they win a prize. Um, but I mean, recreationals are coming from a different perspective. Um, recreationals are not. I don't think the recreational motivation is profit uh, first and foremost. I, I think recreationals want to have a good time when they play. They want to play you know, big tournaments. So, you know, if they were professionals and they were approaching this as a professional, then maybe it would be correct for them to never play anything higher than a $50 tournament in their local casino. But um, a lot of recreational players, you know, they, 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 they accept that they might not be plus EV in a, in a, in a bigger tournament, if that's true. I mean, they might be plus EV, but that's not really the, the, the objective. They want the experience of playing in a bigger tournament and um, that's more fun. I mean, when you do anything recreationally, you really want to have fun. Um, if you're a recreational tennis player, it's much more fun to go and watch uh, the US Open than to watch two players at your level in a park, even though that might actually be more informative for you. Um, so uh, I would say the satellites are a great chance for recreationals to give themselves a shot at getting into the bigger tournaments that they, that they want to play, but don't necessarily want to fork out a full buy-in. Also, the satellites in themselves tend to be very um, good tournaments. Um, you can you can achieve much higher ROIs than most people realize in satellites. And I, I say that as somebody who played nothing but satellites for two or three years in my online career. And when, at the time, people were saying, oh, well, you can't beat satellites by more than 5 or 10%. I was beating them by 80% at the time. Um, so it's, it's possible to carve out large edges. It's also true, I think, that a lot of... Even professional players play satellites quite badly because they play them like normal tournaments. And uh, as anybody who's read the book knows, I mean, the whole, the whole purpose of the book is to tell you what the differences are. It's not, it's not to teach you how to play poker or how to play tournament poker even. It's to teach you, okay, if you know how to play tournament poker, well, what's different about a satellite and how do, how do you change your strategy and why? Um, and that's stuff which even a lot of uh, uh, pros don't get. Um, so I think, uh, like, I have definitely coached recreational players who I would back in a satellite much faster 
than a lot of my pro friends who just don't understand satellites. Mm-hmm. And sort of speaking of that, um, I think one of the things that um, both your your book talks about, but also I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper on, in are these sort of like these these high EV, high variance spots that as a tournament player, if it's just a straight up tournament that we're, that there are these spots where we, where we almost have to take them sometimes um, mm-hmm. because we have to go for the win. We have to sort of, um, you know, we've got to build our stack. We've got to keep up with everyone else. Um, what, what do you th- think are the key things to think about in satellites when we, when we reach those high variance spots in general? And then I've got an example to talk about too. Yeah, I mean, if I had to crystallize satellites into one strategic idea compared to normal tournaments, is that you're you're pretty much looking in all spots to reduce your variance, and 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 not to have to take those big spots. And I think we early in the book we explained how, um, like getting it all in in a normal tournament early on, uh, is actually a small mistake in ICM terms, but in a satellite it's even bigger. And so, satellite strategy changes right from the start. That you're 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 not trying to win all the tournament, all the chips in the tournament. To win a normal tournament, you, you have to win all the chips, and um, that should be your ultimate objective. But in a satellite with say twenty seats, you're only basically trying to be alive when there are twenty players left. Um, and whether that, whether you get there with one chip or you get there with half the chips in play makes no difference. So that changes the fundamental strategy. Um, and the way that translates itself uh, through all stages of the tournament, but even right at the start, is to avoid those high variant spots because there's no additional benefit to having a big stack um, when the when the prizes are paid out. Um, so, I mean, it's quite funny because the, the book myself and Barry are working at on the moment um, is a book on uh, PKOs or bounty builders, as they're sometimes called. Um, and that and, the, and that's the polar opposite. There, you actually you're, you're looking to embrace variant. You're looking to take all these high variant spots um, because not only do you get a chance to build a stack, which is even more important in a bounty builder because that means you then cover other players and can win their bounties. But all but there's all, the, also the immediate payout of the bounty when you win. So there are the the absolute opposite. So I kind of think of it in terms of like there's a variant style where in a normal tournament, let's say that's set to fifty. Um, in a in a in a satellite, you want to turn that down, um, so it goes down below fifty, depending on the stage of the satellite. But in a in a PKO, you're actually turning it the other way. You're you're ramping up the variance. And so, sort of like uh, jumping into that, I want to give you an example. I actually I played in a satellite yesterday, um, and I've got a hand from it, which I hope we can just talk about a little. Um, so there are uh, five spaces paid in this satellite, and we're down to nine left um and there are two extreme short stacks uh at the table so they're under five big blinds um and there are three really big stacks over 50 big blinds and four of us are kind of in the middle fighting for those last two spots all in that kind of probably we all have 15 to 25 big blinds does that kind of give you a sense of the table at least and i'll give you the hand here very much yeah yeah that that Tells me, I'm the, the 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 first thing you're always looking for in the spot is is how big ICM is, and that really comes down to how far you are from the bubble and what the other stacks are. Yeah. So there's there were four spots away. There's two that are almost you know they're going to have to get lucky to not be eliminated, and then the there's four of us who are fighting for sort of basically two spots left if the if the three massive stacks don't get foolish which we can talk about later because one of them did but um (laughs) 
so um and we're at the 500 1000 1000 level um and um i'm um in the cutoff with uh 16k so i have 16 big blinds um uh under the gun plus two uh who has 22 big blinds um opens to 2500 the hijack who's one of those massive 50 plus big blind stacks calls uh, and again, I'm in the cutoff, and I look down at Ace of Hearts, King of Clubs. And so there are three people left to act behind me, um, including one of those massive stacks and one of those extreme short stacks. And in a regular tournament, I fist bump jam this, and I'm mm-hmm. just excited to see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping that my squeeze sort of folds these people out. Um, but I'm wondering, is this a spot in a satellite where a flat is potentially better? Um, or because we're reducing our variance, we'll see if we hit one of those aces or kings, uh, or is this still a spot where we really need to, to do the best sort of EV play and have that squeeze jam work for us? We're getting short. We're not, you know, we've got to make some moves to sort of survive. Um, what, what, how do we approach spots like this in, in satellite when we're getting down to it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First of all, I want to say I, l- I like the way you're thinking about it. You're thinking about the two possibilities um, and h- how this could be different. Um, that's that's very true. And, and you see, and you did say correctly that we we, we do want to reduce our variance in um, in satellites. Now that said, when I start teaching that to a lot of people, they go through a phase where they overdo that, um, and the, you know they, they suddenly start making insane. Uh, folds or flats based on, on on reducing variance essentially what you're doing in a satellite is you are moving the moving the line but not completely eradicating certain ranges um, except in rare spots now the crux of this spot is the fact <clears throat> is the way the stacks are distributed the way you've described it three guys are essentially locked up um so um, and two guys are essentially no hopers, so, and there are four of you competing for the remaining two seats. So, so you guys are, if assuming it plays out the way it normally will, you guys are essentially fifty-fifty for a seat. Um, so, because you're only fifty percent for a seat, you have to play more normally than, let's say, this was a situation where you were ninety percent for a seat and you were up against another big stack. Um, that then the strategy would warp completely, and shoving ace king would be would be insane. But in this spot, you're um, you, you, you you don't have to diverge that much. The other thing is in in terms of variance reduction, um, moving all in is uh, is is actually one way of you can potentially reduce variance because if you if you can fold out hands that had good equity against you pre-flop, um, that's a great result for you. And, and the way you do that is all in. And, and typically the way your strategy changes as you move towards the bubble of a satellite is you move all in with more hands that you would play um, more, uh, that you would be more tempted to slow play, let's say, um, if it were near the bubble. Ace-King in particular is a hand that really likes moving all in because a lot of the hands that it folds out are hands that actually have very good equity against it, like pocket pairs, um, or even you know the random Jack-10 suited has pretty good equity against Ace-King. It's also a hand that has to hit on the flop to be able to continue. So in this spot, calling can be just a bit leaky. Um, so I would actually rule out calling and, 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 and just move all in. Had it been a different situation where you were 90% locked up, um, I would then say it was a um, 
it was a choice between either calling or folding and all in would be the worst option. And does that change if if we have something uh, more marginal? Um, like, it does does a hand like Ace Jack become? Are we considering flatting with that, or is that still a hand that we are either jamming or folding in this kind of spot with a with a satellite sort of consideration? Yeah, the way we're cha- we're going to change our strategy in general is, we, um, I would say, two points. First of all, we're going to jam more of our range um, because we actually we in- it's really good for us when everybody folds and we don't risk elimination. Um, so because of that, we're going to jam more of our range, but we are going to avoid jamming marginal hands. So our range uh, changes in the sense that, like some super strong hands, which we might consider trapping. Uh, are doing something different with other than jamming now we come jams but the bottom of our jamming range in a normal tournament probably just becomes a fold um because we just want to avoid those marginal spots because a hand like ace jack even as a flat doesn't particularly uh, do very well because if the flop comes ace high or, or even jack high and all the chips go in there's a significant chance we don't have the best hand um it's not a hand we can play too competent confidently just when we hit top pair so you're better off folding the sort of bottom of your normal tournament range for want of a better word, um, and then shoving more of your top top of the range hands. Um, and then sort of last bit, which I think is is something that I see in satellites all the time. So I ended up qualifying. Um, even thanks. Um, but it was thanks to, uh, two big stacks sort of blowing up against mm. each other. And, that, that still happens. <laughs> and so I want to, I actually wanted to talk about that from, from their perspective and like how we can avoid this as when we've got those stacks where it's, where we're, where we're locked up and we end up with a really big hand and we're just sort of battling with other big stacks while these sort of little stacks, uh, get in you know like are kind of (laughs) praying that we keep this up um like how how do you sort of turn off that that sort of conventional or how do you recommend to people that they turn off that sort of instinctual or conventional way that they approach normal tournaments especially when they've got those sort of like because this was too um basically what happened was there were two um well the blinds had gone up so they had two about 45 big blind stacks there was somebody with three big blinds and uh i had 11 big blinds left um and i was and i was by far and away like next on the chopping block um and there were we were down to seven left so there were five spots seven left we were the two clear people who needed to go away uh and then everyone could have their their slots um but what happened was um they just got in a raising war when on a king 10 three flop um one of them had ace king one of them had king queen and the king queen uh player left broke and i was happy to not uh, and to qualify but i'm i'm wondering how it when we're in those positions as these giant stacks mm. um how we approach that in tournament i mean do we just shut down completely um, um we, yeah that's a, it's a really good question it's it's very hard to switch out of the normal mindset and and, and to play differently but the, the one thing i would say is that when you're playing a satellite focus on what the objective is. The objective is to, in, in, in a five-player satellite, come in the top five places. No difference between coming first and coming fifth. So, you know, it might feel annoying to have to keep folding because the the, the other big stack um, is 
pushing people around. But you know that makes no difference at the end of the day. Let him do the work in that case. Uh, he's taking all the risk of uh, sacks. Getting into a confrontation with him makes absolutely no sense. And I would say that's the main thing to focus on. I mean, I, I, this has gotten less over the years, but it's still it's good to see, first of all, that it still happens because um, a large part of the um, value you can have in satellites is understanding not to do these huge mistakes. And, and they're, they're absolutely humongous mistakes. Um, I think I gave this example in the book, but the first time I ever saw this was, um, I guess, my second or third year playing, the first time I qualified for the World Series main event online back when they ran um, satellites on stars for that. And it was like one of these 1,000 runner fields that had 54, uh, well, 50, 50 packages guaranteed, but I think they ended up having 54 um, payouts in the end. So it was actually quite a tense satellite for me because I was relatively short stacked the whole way um, and then got pretty lucky with, I think, six from the bubble where I got in ace-king against ace-king and actually won. So that kind of made me relatively safe but i was keeping an eye on all the other um tables and 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 uh, to see who was at risk and so on and i mean my objective was just to finish in the top 54 so i knew i had to just basically fold everything uh on our table the biggest stack in the tournament was playing every single hand he's obviously having fun because he can and uh so he's opening every hand and people were just folding um I mean, I would have folded aces if I had to because my 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 assessment at that stage was if I kept folding, I was pretty much 100%. Um, and if I got aces in against this guy's two random cards, he's going to dog me 18% of the time or whatever. Um, so it was very clear to me what my strategy should be. But the last hand of the um, the satellite was absolutely was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Um, so I'm looking at the other tables and I see there's a, the shortest stack in the tournament has less than one ante left. Um, so he's going to be all in for a partial ante next hand. And even if he wins that, he's going to have less than a big blind, which he's going to have to post the hand after that. So you kind of think, okay, well, the tournament's over. He's screwed, obviously. Um, and then on our table where the chip leader was opening every single hand, he opened again. So one of 55. And three of 55, who was also on our table, um, decided to defend the big blind, which is immediately weird. Um, like, why even get involved? And then the flop came down something like king, deuce, three. And the big blind who was covered, the covered player, just open shoved for 20 times the pot. And the other guy tanked and eventually called. Um, the open shover at king, so quick, okay, he's flopped the nuts on the flop. Uh, the other guy turns out rather sickly, has aces, um, and hits running wheel cards to eliminate <laughs> the guy with kings. Um, absolute insanity. I mean, the guy literally lit $14,000 on fire, which is the value of the package. Uh, now I told that story to a couple of people at the time and they were all, and most of them focused on how unlucky the Kings was saying, Oh, well, I mean, the guy's opening every hand and like, how does he have aces? And then we flop top set and the guy hits runner, runner, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is just fold your Kings preflop. Yeah. <laughs> there is absolutely no reason. There is no upside to winning a few more chips. Um, against the one player at the table who can who, who could potentially knock you out. Well, and even the aces calling there is sort of odd too, but yeah. The aces calling the whole, is insane. The whole, the, whole yeah. thing is, the whole thing is screwed up. The whole thing is screwed up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the aces would have, would have been relatively short and could yeah. potentially, if the other guy had somehow survived, the next two hands could potentially have, have been at risk. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the times people just can't check their ego. Um, they, they, you know, they... They enjoy, or they want that they they won't be pushed around in inverted commas, and that's you know, 
<laughs> that's a foolhardy approach sometimes. Yeah, I think that's actually part of the dynamic that was playing out at this table too. Is that the 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 button who had the ace king had just been super active. He was the biggest mm. stack of the table. I think people were tired of folding to him, yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah, that it it ended up uh, being this giant sort of shove war where it really, really. I mean, you know, you got king queen. You just you got to fold that there oh yeah yeah i mean i thought i thought when you started telling the story i thought you were going to say that one guy set or set the other guy or something yeah getting no, a no. king queen in that spot fair is just insane yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 yep um well thanks thanks that's i think that's really helpful i think it's really helpful for for the sort of a wreck player to just be thinking about satellite strategy i really liked what you talk about thinking about what your ultimate goal is too like that that it doesn't matter if you're pushing back against the big stack bully yeah. all you care about is you know reaching that finish line. Completely, yeah. yeah, I think that's part of the, the logical piece that we keep trying to teach everybody in our principles and all these things. What are you ultimately trying to accomplish, whether it's in this particular hand, this particular decision, or in this case, more broadly with this tournament, the ultimate goal is to survive. Yeah, but but yeah, I think we testosterone or whatever it is kind of kicks in and and uh, we, oh, I'm not going to be pushed around by this guy anymore. Yeah. And we, we let that, that's a form of tilt, right? I mean, that, that's a form of tilt. It, it completely is, yeah. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to share a house the last few uh, World Series with Andrew Brokos, and Andrew's really good on this stuff because he he Andrew goes even further and says like people shouldn't even use emotive language to describe hands. That's that that in itself yeah. is a is an indication of an issue. If you start saying this guy was pushing me around or right. I I have to make a stand or I didn't want to appear weak, uh, describing what's a, what a strategy game in emotional terms um, is, is 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 definitely a a pointer that you may have um, a mental issue. That's so good. Well, we, we need to, we need to honor your time. So we're going to kind of start wrapping it up here, but uh, mm-hmm. I guess a, a couple of things to touch base with you on. First of all, now I, I've heard your name pronounced so many different ways. I believe that you say Dara, I think, but it's like, I've heard like 70, 30 Dara and Dara. And so we just need to settle this for all of rec poker nation right now. Do you go by Dara or do you go by Dara? It's Dara. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's an Irish, it's an Irish name and yeah. and yeah that is that that, that is pronunciation. Actually, the, the the second name people generally get wrong as well because of the E A, which looks like E, but it's actually pronounced just like an A. So it's Carney, as in uh, somebody who works in a Carney. So, uh, so I think I said that wrong too. So Daro awesome. Daro Daro Carney. That's it. Yeah, Darryl Darryl perfect. Darryl Carney. Perfect <laughs> Well, I got to practice for our pub visits. See, Absolutely, I, I yeah. For these things. So, well, I guess any you know before we kind of get into the the real final things, any any final words, things that you would have loved to have shared with our folks that you know we didn't get around to asking or anything follow up, any kind of final words for our our audience. Um, no, I guess like I would say that uh, like when you're a recreational player, it, it's it's. I think recreational players are often um, patronized in the sense that people, you know, assume that they're not capable of playing at a high strategic level. Um, that hasn't been my experience at all. I think recreational is just a matter of how much time you're going to put into something and your 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 reasons for doing it, uh, which is that you just want to essentially enjoy yourself um, and you make your your livelihood in some other way so i would say uh, for recreational players the most important thing is just make sure you're always having fun do this do the things which give you the fun but also it's actually more fun when you uh, understand the game better and you uh give yourself a better chance of winning 
So uh, people, players who are recreational players who are interested in strategy, um, that's really uh, that's a sweet spot because you're 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 having the fun, but you're also um, willing to put a bit of work and effort into the game. Um, and um, I coach quite a few recreations, and I have to admit, I prefer coaching recreational players to other pros. Um, and even when I play live, I generally prefer the company of recreational players because. As a pro, it's very easy to get up in your own head and you know, focus on how badly you're running or how unlucky you think you are or how much work you put in or how horrible the casino is, all these other things, because um, it's, it's essentially your work. But work. Recreationals are there to have fun. And poker is fairly unique in the sense that it's one of the few um, areas where recreational players and pros do compete in the same arena. Um, you know, if you're a recreational tennis player, you can't show up at the US Open and uh, expect <laughs> them to let you in. Um, but you show up in, in in Vegas with your with your buy-in, they let you in, and you could you could be at the same table as Phil Ivey. I think that's the um, that's the thing which is the most fun, both for me, but also I imagine recreational players. And uh, I think that's the, that's the thing to focus on. Just just, just um, bear in mind that it's it's actually supposed to be fun. I love that so much more than more than you realize. I love that. Now it's it's always more fun to win, which is what we're trying to tell people. Like you know, as a recreational player, as a recreational player, go out and have fun. Like that's ultimately what we're doing. But it turns out it is more fun to win, so you can still improve at the game. You know, you can yeah. you can have fun and then have more fun uh, when you're at the payout desk. Sure, and I, I also think it's actually fun to to approach it as a strategy game rather than just a game of dumb luck. Because uh, if it was a game of dumb luck, you know, go off and play bingo or roulette right. or something else. Uh, but the thing about poker is that it is it is a strategy game, and the better you get at the strategy, the more time and effort and thought you put into it, the better you will do. So it it, it rewards that kind of effort. Um, and I think for recreational players, that's also true. I mean, there's sometimes an assumption among pro players that recreations don't care about strategy or or if they do, they're bad at it. But when, when recreational players are perfectly capable of consuming content as well and and operating at a very high strategic level, it's, it's, it's a question of approach. It's not necessarily a question of how much time you put into something. It's, 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 uh, it's how you approach it. Well, and you find that a lot of recreational players are, they're recreational because they have other jobs. And a lot of times those other jobs sure. are, in very strategic capacities in other companies. I mean, there were a lot of us uh, have grown up, have, you know, learning strategy and learning how to think strategically. And so to uh, sort of under undervalue that uh, could be a mm-hmm. mistake by, by some of the pros. We're just trying to apply our strategy to a new, uh, a new construct. For sure. Yeah. In fact, I would say probably the biggest change over, um, over the 11 or 12 years of my career is that the, the recreational level has improved incredibly. Um, recreational players are so much better now than they used to be. Um, poker is a natural evolutionary pool anyway, where the <clears throat> the weaker players will tend to get weeded out over time because they just reach a point where they either can't lose anymore or they don't want to go on losing. It's just not a pleasant experience for them. So, um, But I would say the recreationals have improved far more than the pros have uh, in the same time because um, they're... they're Recreationals can consume uh, content much more now than than when I started. When I started, it was actually quite difficult to get good at poker because there was there were no there were no training videos. Um, there were very few good poker books. Uh, there were no solvers. There was none of that stuff. There were no podcasts. Um, so it's a lot it's a lot easier, I think, for recreationals who are motivated enough to put in a bit of work now to get up to up to more or less pro level. For sure. Well, any other any other comments questions from the panel before we let. Dara go, head shaking. 
All right. Well, Dara, so tell us the, uh, this has been fantastic. We could go on for hours. Uh, you know, we always, at the end of these things, we always get all these emails and all these con, you know, these comments from people saying, how do I get a hold of that person? So we're trying to be a little more preemptive in giving them that information. So how, what's the best way or the preferred way that you'd have people uh, connect with you that are saying, all right, I need to tap into what this guy's doing. Yeah. I, I, I would say probably the central thing for, for, for pretty much everything I do is, is um, it makes its way onto Twitter somehow. Um, so, I, so when I put out a video or a new article or um, a new edition of my strategy newsletter or a new blog or whatever, a new podcast, I tweet about it. So I would say in terms of like just seeing what I'm doing in total, uh, Twitter is probably the best place. From there, you can fan out to whatever interests you, be that the books, the, um, the, the podcast, the blog. Uh, the articles I write, um, any of that stuff. But uh, I, um, I do also have a presence the last two years um, on Instagram, actually at the instigation of Diva, uh, my friend who you had on earlier, she suggested I should get on Instagram because it was so different from Twitter. The way I use Instagram is literally just as a sort of a dear diary um, where I mm. show snaps from my day so people can see what I'm up to. Um, if I'm away at a tournament, what my table's like, or if I'm outside seeing what I'm seeing when I'm at home, you know, what I'm up to that day, if I'm playing, if I'm grinding online, if I'm doing coaching, um, whatever. So I've actually been surprised at the reaction to that, how many people are interested, but I think people are sort of interested in the sort of like real life. Uh, this is, uh, this is what it's actually like to be a pro poker player. So if you like that sort of stuff, I would go to Instagram. But for most of the stuff, Twitter, um, Twitter handle is just my name, Darrow Carney, uh, all one word. Um, on Instagram, I think I'm Doe Carney. Uh, um, yeah, so they're probably the two main areas. All right. Well, sounds great. And I'll put, I'll put links out on, in the show notes. And if you have any other links you want me to put out there, Dara, feel free to, to send me stuff. And if you guys are out there going, okay, I missed it. How do I get a hold of them? Just get a hold of us. We'll, we'll connect you. Uh, with sure. Dara, but but Dara, thank you. I know you're you're up late, which isn't rare uh, for no. for a poker player, but uh, still appreciate you accommodating our schedule and, and joining us. This was fantastic. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been great fun talking to you all. All right. Well, we're going to continue on and wrap up with some announcements. You're welcome to stay for that, or you're welcome to just go ahead and and take off, and uh, we'll connect later. And ho- hopefully, we can check in with you uh, sometime in the future. Sure, for sure, and hopefully, see some of you in Vegas. We'll be there. All right, Dara, take care. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, uh, what, are, what are our reactions? What are we thinking? I thought it was just a fantastic uh, – no, Dara's still on, so I have to say this. Well, once, he, <laughs> once he logs off, I'll tell you what I really felt. But, no, I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> discussion. What was some of your guys', I guess, key takeaways uh, from that? I thought it was really hilarious that Chad McVean was asking questions because he was just on the chip race – not what three episodes ago or right, something? Right, huh? this guy, <laughs> McVean. Come on, man. <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, "Oh, this is funny." He was just on the on the Chip Race podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts, reactions? No, I love I love listening to Dara. Um, him and him and Andrew both. I you know I've yeah I I think you've been on Thinking Poker podcast too, haven't you, Dara? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you guys, I love the way you guys think. I love the way you guys uh, explain it to us rec players who are not thinking at a Matt Berkey level, you know? So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I really enjoy listening to you guys. Yeah, I was, I'm always interested in this concept that uh, you're not actually always lowering your variance by calling. 
And uh, the the importance of shoving in spots like that that can actually turn out to be a lower variance play. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember exactly. You said something like uh, yep. shoving your stack in to make it less likely that you were eliminated. And I just love that. I love that way of thinking mm -hmm. about it. That's exactly right. A little paradigm shifting. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about some other stuff. So let's let's talk about our membership content that we have going on. And Chris, I'll I'll let you take the lead on that. Give us an update on what's going on with our our pre. Pretty exciting stuff for membership. Yeah, yeah. So we've just completed, um, or uh, last week completed our uh, seminar recording. So we got our first seminar. It's going to be posted this week uh, for all our members. We're talking about uh, position and stacks. We're going back to the basics. Um, and as kind of a reminder, what we're planning is a series of monthly seminar content to prepare you for your first big MTT, or if it's even not your first one, maybe get you re refreshed in order to like get you ready for the WSOP or wherever your next uh, big shot might be, whether you're gonna try that through a satellite qualifying in or just uh, plunking down the money and, and trying your, your best. Uh, we're gonna be having monthly content kind of getting you ready for that. And our first uh, effort at that is this, uh, is our February content, which is focused all around the idea of getting a refresher and refocused on the idea of being positionally aware and stack aware and how those two things interplay. And uh, we had a great time recording it. Um, it's, I think, really, really, if I do say so myself, I yeah. think it's really solid content. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited for it to come out and for y'all to see it. Yeah, it was it was so fun to create. I just thought it was so much fun, and I think it's really a tribute to you and, and the preparation that went in, but the whole crew. And I love that it was still done like had the sense of we're doing this in community. We're all learning this together, and that's really what we're inviting all the listeners into is join us. We're we're a community of people learning the game together. That's as we're vibrant, we're encouraging, but we're inviting people in. And I thought it had that feel. And then a lot of this is leading up to for members again uh, end of the month, right? We're gonna do like this live Q and A and inviting the members to be part of that too. Yeah, so we, we hope that people uh, watch the content, engage with it, uh, and then come up with questions that you felt like we're missing. Uh, and we're gonna have these live Q and A's at the end of every month so that we can wrap up the, the content and move on to the next uh, one. And, and all the content is meant to build on each other. So um, our uh, it will be great to have that sort of that wrap up Q and A, which will then feed into the, the next month's uh, content. So we're, we're excited about it. For sure. Well, how about the uh, how about the book study, Rob? How's that going? Well, we're going to be going through chapter eight uh, in our next episode. It's called "Putting It All Together." That's the last chapter of the book. Um, we had a very interesting conversation the previous one in chapter seven. John and I were talking about that on Saturday. We got together and we were talking about that, and it was a very confusing chapter <laughs> for us. We were, we were struggling a lot with the concepts. I mean, some of it, it's getting pretty deep right now. Um, so I, it's, kinda, it's one of those books that I know that I'm going to have to read a number of times to get to where we want to be with it. But we're going through the last chapter. It's called Putting It All Together in our next episode. And we're working on trying to get uh, Andrew Brokus on with us to do a Q&A on the book after we're all done and we've gone through the whole thing. So we'll see how that turns out. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And he's already committed to doing it. So he's just a matter of working out the date. So, right. uh, so playing optimal poker, for those of you who haven't been part of the rec poker nation, that's the book that 
Cheyenne Bhattacharya has been leading and Rob and John have been part of the whole time. And some of us have been kind of in and out and it's, it's really challenging our thinking. Right. But it's, oh, yeah. it, it's like introducing GTO, but in a way that makes sense. So we understand the foundations, but yeah, it's, it's still heady stuff. Really is really a lot of fun though. I mean, like yeah. I said, John and I were having a conversation on Saturday about it. <laughs> we we're both kind of confused about where yeah. we we're at, what's going on, but, but he really lays it out really well using those uh, toy games, he calls them. Um, so, yeah, I really, uh, really enjoy it. And you should, if you get a chance, definitely read the book, Play Optimal Poker. Um, and if you can, join the book study. If you're a member, you can go back and listen to right. all the chapters as we've talked and discussed what was going on in them. So, Yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, thanks, Rob, for, for doing that. Thanks for giving the update. How about, John, how about you on the, uh, the Poker Stars home games? What do you got to share on that deal? Well, yeah, we, uh, as hopefully everyone knows by now, we have two different home game series on the first and second Wednesday of the month. The first home game series is our No Limit Hold'em home game series, and the second home game series is our Mixed Game home game series. And we have a uh, points race that is being tracked on uh, Rec.Poker, so you can go there and see who's the current winner there. Uh, one note is that Poker Stars does keep some score of things in their home games. We are not using that those scoring mechanisms at all. So whatever you see there, just ignore what you see in the client. Go to rec.poker. That's the official scoring for that. Uh, the games have been posted, so you can go ahead and sign up. And if you are new to uh, No Limit Deuce to Seven Single Draw, there is a nice, small, little 10-minute uh, or less video <laughs> to introduce you to the game. Now, of course, after winning or listening to that, you will be a world-class player at the game and, you know, can make millions of dollars. But uh, it'll at least let you know what the rules are, how the game is played, that you actually, you know, don't want to have the best hand in that particular game and that, you know, you don't want a, a straight, all of those types of things. So it'll at least let you understand the rules so that then you can come and have fun in the game. Yeah. And all that stuff, you know, wrecked out poker and then the home game, you know, go, go there. And John put that video together. It's fantastic. We've had great feedback. People like, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, yeah. That's a great little tutorial for those of us who are just learning mixed games. And I'm really excited that we're doing this. Like we've had a lot of people for a while say, you guys should do mixed games. And I'm like, I don't know mixed games. I'm still trying to learn one game, but uh, this has been very well received. And John, I mean, thanks for putting all this together and leading all that effort. It's, it's an effort, but I know you love doing it. And just remember, you don't need to be an expert to play these games. I mean, no one yeah. here knows what they're doing when it comes to. Oh, come to on. Somsky. No, I mean, <laughs> I might know the rules at least I've played <laughs> poorly a few times, but I mean, it's just so much fun and you get yeah. to kind of stretch your mental muscles because you aren't thinking about, okay, should my range include ace jack offsuit or should I cut it off at ace queen offsuit here? Or, you know, because at no limit hold them, even as react recreational players, we have evolved to kind of a high level. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice to go back to where no one knows what they're doing. And it, it actually makes you think and exercise different mental muscles. And I firmly believe that when you play some of the mixed games, you can bring information that you learn back into your Hold'em game as well. 
Oh, and speak, speaking ahead, of yeah. uh, speaking of not knowing what you're doing, um, <laughs> I did watch that little teaser uh, trainer video that you put out there, and it was so good. I've already decided I can't watch any of the other ones going into these mixed games because my whole thing is that I'm not going to know anything about the game until the first hand is dealt, and I already know way too much about this game <laughs> uh, from watching that little video. So if you want to be boring and understand the rules of the game before you start playing, watch John Somsky's uh, video <laughs> clip there. And if you want to have fun like Bluff Starini and show up and splash around, uh, just show up on the day of and come and be a fool like me. It's a lot of fun. And it's so fun. For those of you who are members, I know you appreciate this. Like a, lo- a number of us are recording our thoughts as we're playing these. And, and it's so fun. I think from the, the Hold'em side, it was so great. I think a lot of great insight, a lot of great strategy. When we played the PL Hold'em, PLO combo, you know, John's is great because he knows what he's doing. For some of us who aren't big Omaha people, you know, it was funny. Like, like Chris, yeah, Chris raising his hand. There's still the one spot, Chris, where you're like, oh, let's see who won. Nope, I guess it wasn't <laughs> me, you know. And I think there's some of that going on. So, from a, you know, it's just sort of a fun thing, too, as, uh, you know, as we're learning the mixed games to go back and listen to some of that. But uh, good times, man. Just super fun. And then there's all these, the bragging rights that go on, you know, and all the talking trash on Discord and that sort of thing is, is pretty fun as well. Plus, I think, didn't a, didn't a first-timer win it? Last time, didn't a, another Canadian sneak yeah, in under the wire? Maddie came in and uh, just showed up and won the ham to all damn thing. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's get some more Canadians out oh, here kicking, kicking these butts. Yeah, exactly. I, guess, I have to sing Oh Canada now. On the, the Once theme. a month, that's the rule. Nice. But yeah, thanks, John, for all that stuff. Um, I'll mention uh, we got some new supporters. Uh, Chad McVean, like, like if you're not supportive enough, Chad is now supporting us on Patreon. So, Chad, appreciate you. Obviously, it was great to meet you in Vegas last summer and Appreciate all that you're doing and supporting rec poker, but more than that, the poker industry as a whole and all the podcasts you listen to and retweet and encourage people about. So thanks for doing that. And then uh, in January, we added a few new members uh, to our community. So the folks that we're talking about where they're watching the content and engaging and being part of the Q&A. So I want to thank those guys. So Rob Delaney, George Sanford, a.k.a. Grandpa George, never play Ace King George, uh, and Michael Babker, those three folks from Minnesota. Uh, thank you guys for jumping on here and being uh, being members. Keith Brandt from Illinois, Rich Yelenich from Washington, and Yamel Cuevas uh, from New York. So thank you to all of you guys for signing up for membership. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, man, Steve at Rec.Poker or wherever, uh, get in touch with us. And we got the Binks and the Player of the Week. Now we have two weeks in a row we have to report on because – uh, as you know, last week we recorded with Fedor Holtz and we recorded on a Saturday, so we didn't have the player of the week. So uh, we said we'd catch up this time. So the week of January 21st, Running Aces, Players of the Week, uh, Alberto Briones Moraz, who's on just a heater. Uh, you'll hear his name a few times. Uh, he led the way, uh, followed by Keith Kiesling, Daryl Winningstead, Joseph Farrell, and Mark Harvanko. So they pick up Running Aces bonus lammers for their player of the week status. And then last week, the week of January 27th, Andrew Feist, who is part of Rec Poker Nation, uh, he was wearing the hat. Alberto, uh, who again, I should mention, is part of Rec Poker Nation. He's got the sweatshirt on all the time. Al Anderson, and then a three-way tie between Tim Bray, Dave Elke, and Louise Lucas. So those are your running aces players of the week. And then we always invite you guys, if you're part of our community, uh, to put out in Discord in the Bink channel. Uh, You can put out there the wins that you've had, and we like to celebrate those as a community. So I'll go through the list pretty quick, but January 27th, Alberto uh, turned 75 bucks into 400 and four bounties in their bounty tournament. Uh, The next day, Alberto conquered the $30 tournament, winning 320 bucks. 
January 28th, Andrew Feist, another guy who's always wearing our merch. Uh, he turned 150 bucks into 2000 as part of a partial chop. Brian Morey uh, took down the $60 PLO, turned that into 450 Andrew Feist again, 100 into 1406 uh, Chris Jones, I'm going to put you on there. You didn't even put your bink in there, but the qualifier, the 90 into 350 or so. Uh, Chris Nelson also, who's a supporter of Rec Poker Nation, he uh, also won a seat with you in that one. And today, I'm going to end up mentioning him twice because he'll be there next week. But today, uh, I played the $75 bounty tournament. I final tabled, but that fell short. Uh, but Brian Soja, sporting the Rec Poker sweatshirt, uh, he took it down for 742 bucks, and it looked to be about 10 bounties. So... A uh, pretty good couple of weeks there at the tables for Rec Poker Nation. Um, I do want to mention to our, I mentioned this website, AMP, is our newest podcast uh, sponsor. And I just want to mention, so that's Mark Prashan. Uh, he's, a, he's a supporter of Rec Poker, and uh, he's coming on board to help us with some website stuff. And we're excited to work with him. He's just a fantastic dude. And website AMP is really a, a, a company that he owns that's designed to Amplify, since the AMP, uh, amplify your impact on the web, professional website design, development, and optimization services. And so you can talk to a website expert for free at websiteamp.com slash poker. So check that out. Let me know if you have any questions on that deal. Uh, but thanks to Mark uh, for being part of the team here at Rec Poker. Uh, so I got a couple other things, but you guys on the panel, anything, anything that we're missing, any, uh, any sort of updates or announcements that you want to give the nation? Shaking heads, shaking heads. All right. Well, the one, <laughs> the one more thing I wanted to add uh, on here is we are having our first rec poker day at Running Aces. Uh, so you guys know they're our official sponsor. And so Saturday, February 29th, we are still putting all the details together, but Basically, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., we're going to be on site. We're going to have, we're going to be recording. If you want to come over and say hi on the podcast, uh, we're going to be giving away merchandise, talking to people about membership. I'll be playing both tournaments. So there'll be bounties on my head. If others are going to be there, there'll be bounties on you guys. But just going to be a fun day, kind of celebrating door prizes. Uh, Running Aces is going to be giving away some lammers as door prizes, so uh, which is basically just tournament chips. So make sure you check that out. Uh, we'll give you more details as we get closer. Jim, what do you have to say about people connecting with us? Well, there's a lot of great ways to do it. I don't know. I don't need to tell you, Steve. The number one, rec.poker. Go to rec.poker. We've got all sorts of free links there. That's where we uh, have the launch for our membership site. You can come and sign up there for a trial for free and come and see all the great stuff that we're doing behind the wall there. Um, Discord is a huge help for discussion. We've been doing a lot of great hand discussions and talking about hand histories and tournament positions, concepts, other great stuff. So go to Discord and it's uh, Rec Poker, easy to find there. Um, sign up for the newsletter. Steve puts out a newsletter every week, this week in Rec Poker, Twerp. <laughs> and uh, Twerps like me enjoy getting it. It gives us a rundown of everything that's coming out that week and links to everything. So if you don't uh, always want to be surfing in between sites and that to find out where the things are that we're putting out, be a twerp. Twerp with me and you can uh, find all your links right there. Of course, Twitter, at RecPoker. And if you're on Twitter, go over to at Darrow Carney and just tell him, hey, we heard you on Rec Poker, and boy, that was nice of you to come and uh, share your wisdom with us. And then he'll get this great feedback, and he'll think, wow, those Rec Poker guys were a really <laughs> good thing for me to do. I'm going to go tell all my friends to go on their podcast. So 
Um, yeah, Twitter, uh, Rec.Poker, Discord, and those are the big ones. But of course, we're on Facebook, SoundCloud, YouTube. Basically, just uh, find a way to reach us, and we'll be there with open ears. Sounds good. And then next week, we have coming up K.L. Cleeton. Uh, really excited to chat with him. Uh, he's done a little bit with our videos for us, but uh, he has partnered with uh, Ryan LaPlante, and K.L. sort of started this Range Trainer Pro. Uh, it's a tool that uh, he's given us a couple, couple of us access to. It's fantastic. Uh, highly recommend in terms of how do you figure out what ranges uh, you should be opening with in different spots. And so we're going to talk with K.L. So if you have questions for K.L., uh, specifically around opening ranges or other things, make sure you send those to us one way, shape, or form. Uh, the preferred way is Steve at rec.poker, but if you put them on Twitter or Facebook, we'll gather them and we'll put them out there. But uh, if you have questions, man, here's your opportunity to ask for some of the brightest minds in poker. So check that out. And if you want to support us, uh, Patreon is a great way to do that. Obviously, we put out a ton of content for free, and that helps us pay the bills and kind of give us your vote of, of encouragement. Uh, you can go to rec.poker slash Patreon uh, for information there. You can rep the brand. We got sweatshirts. We got hats. We make it as cheap as possible uh, for you to rep the brand. You can like us, rate us, review us on iTunes. All that stuff helps. Uh, we put out uh, links to 888poker articles every week. You can like those, retweet those, and just let people know. Uh, and the thing that we always say is if there if there's things that you'd like to see us do more of or less of or differently, tell us. <laughs> we don't know. You know, we're a group of recreational players trying to put on the best uh, show that we can while we're enjoying each other's company. But if you have feedback that's going to help us get better, please uh, let us know. Uh, that's how we'll know. So with that, we'll sign off there. A special thanks, as always, to our official sponsor of all things Rec Poker, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and also to our podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. So with that, guys, thank you so much, and we will catch you next week.